This is Rewired Radio with Erica Spiegelman, addiction and wellness specialist, motivational speaker, and author, helping individuals, couples, and families regain a sense of control, leading to personal growth, wellness, and a more fulfilling life. Here's Erica Spiegelman. Welcome, everyone. It is the most wonderful time of the year, or is it? The holiday season can be a challenge for many of us. We're bombarded with messages that is uh, to get healthy, to be happy and joyful. There's a lot of family bonding, but our lives don't get put on hold once December starts. From worries about seeing our family and fretting that we won't be able to resist the temptation of the food or drink at the office holiday party, we all have hurdles to face as this year winds down. And my guest today, Robin Goldberg, is a nutrition therapist and dietitian who helps her clients navigate challenges 365 days a year. Robin will talk about how the holidays can be a little rough and what we can do to experience the joy of the season wherever we are on our personal health and wellness journeys. Robin, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Very excited. I'm so excited too. And and there's so much that, that I know that you do with clients. I mean, beyond addressing their eating issues, I know you help them emotionally and help them, you know, live day to day with being um, fulfilled and, and, leaving, and leading meaningful lives. So let's talk a little bit about um, how we get, how we get through um, our issues around food or drinking or anything that's distracting us from really leading like meaningful lives where we can be present with our loved ones and not being distracted by the thoughts that we're not good enough, we're not skinny enough, we're not pretty enough, and that kind of thing. Well, I think <clears throat> I think the holidays, which can be very challenging, many people have a lack of support system. They yeah. they maybe you know they have a therapist. They they have a sponsor, and they have a nutrition therapist that they work with, and many people are leaving town. And, and I always like to encourage clients to be able to have a support system because this is a time that people are either isolating, they mm-hmm. tend to restrict, or they get deeper in their eating disorder. And I, I know I really try to make myself available, and this is the time of the year that I'm typically away, and I always have colleagues on call for me. But... I think this is an important time to be able to have people that can be accessible that they mm. if if they are in recovery that they attend extra meetings but also what what I have clients work on too is a um a gratitude list um yeah. and also one of the things especially depending on where they're at with their eating disorder is also um even writing a letter to their body and being, we don't think about um, how to thank our body for all the things that our mm-hmm. body's able to do for us, especially, especially, I'm sorry, what did you say? I said, absolutely. It's a yeah. wonderful idea. Mm-hmm. Especially when there's, you know, the abundance of, you know, parties and many people are avoiding them just because they feel very intimidated and overwhelmed by it as well. It's just, you know, a couple of things I like to encourage clients to do. I love those tips, and for anyone that's listening, um, I, I think that it's it's really great, the gratitude list. I, I encourage people to do that, too, and, and getting into it even more in depth, like thinking your body and all the parts of your body um, is again, is another way to be more mindful and, and to understand that our bodies are so resilient and such wonderful things that help us get through this life. And yet sometimes I think we, we take them for granted or we don't realize um, how a little abuse here and there can really add up after a while. I'm sure that you see people when they come to you sometimes that have a lot of um, 
a lot of problems and issues with their health um, from years of, of maybe, you know, restricting or, or binging or things like that. Dieting, absolutely. Yeah. Where, yeah. Where they, they might find they're not even able to walk up a flight of stairs or they can't even walk from point A to point B where they're just so, you know, physically compromised. And mm-hmm. we we don't even realize just being able to bend down and, you know, pick up a box, just like, wow, this is, you know, you know, I'm thanking yeah. my legs for being able to assist me or my hands. I mean, these are, you mm-hmm. know, parts of our body, just thanking our body for allowing me to, to endure what it, what it does on day-to-day basis. Because I think most of our culture is so focused on the external and how it looks versus the manual labor and what it does in, you know, every single day, like opening, you know, a bottle of juice. Like that's a lot of work. Right, right. And, and yeah, and what you're talking about, too, is just strength and feeling strong internally and externally is, is something that I think our culture doesn't stress as much as we do. How much do you weigh? What size jeans are you? You, you yeah. know, that kind of th- that kind of thing. When The superficial really... stuff. Right. People right. aren't going to go out and say, hi, Erica. Um, how did you develop the eye color that you have? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's, it's being right. able to get down to the core of, um, you know, what, what are the positive things that have allowed me to, to be me, you know, or right. how can I like me? Um, mm-hmm. You know, who, who is there to help me during these difficult times? Yeah, and and I, I I totally agree. And and the thing is too, it's it's you know even during this season and when we like you said have people to lean on and have fellowship and have um, you know people that you can um, be close to at this time of year if you're feeling lonely. And also what we can begin to do too within ourselves is kind of start to change the narrative. I think we could do that at any time. It doesn't have to be the holiday season, but to kind of change the narrative of of some of that internal. Um, self-talk that may be going yeah. on, which has which has created us to have these problems with food. Um, like, you know, let's say somebody grew up with a mother or father that, you know, said they were too fat or, or was there. They were always the parents were always focused on food. So the child, you know, always felt like this inner voice of I'm not good enough unless I'm a certain weight or if I look a certain way. And we really can begin to change that now. Um, if we if we have the awareness around it, and I'm, I know that's what you, you probably you do with clients. I mean, that's what um, us therapists are kind of here for is yeah. to help counsel people to begin to change those narratives and realize that whatever messages we got at a younger age, those those things that aren't serving us, we can do the work to change it. Right. It's it's really learning how to work on the healthy voice, which has been buried by the eating disorder voice or the disordered thinking voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you help people begin to get in touch with that voice, identify it? be aware of it, and then change it? Well, oftentimes I think it's derived from when I'm hearing a specific statement. I know you were Mm -hmm. speaking about, you know, holiday obstacles with food. So if someone is speaking about, oh, I I went to a a holiday party and I had a piece of coffee cake and I was feeling if I eat this coffee cake, you know, the coffee cake is going to go to my thighs and that's going to make me fat. So we speak about the truth versus the, you know, like the reality piece. So we'll talk about, well, you know what, you're having, you had one piece of coffee cake. Let's step out of your body body for a moment. Um, You were feeling anxious when you went there, so the anxiety made you perceive that 
you were feeling out of control and one piece of coffee cake would lead you to have multiple pieces, but did you have more than one piece? No, I had one piece of coffee cake and I really didn't eat much today too. And, and, you know, I was feeling anxious. So I actually have what's called a rethinking sheet. So I'll have the client list what the feeling was on that. Okay. I was feeling anxious. Automatic thought is, you know, coffee cake is bad. And I like to use the words effective and ineffective. Okay. Well, to you, this is an ineffective food. So with clients, Erica, I always like to say we address our effective foods first, and then uh-huh. we have some sort of ineffective food. So once we address our nutrition, then we can have some sort of fun food or ineffective food after. So, okay, I had this coffee cake, and being able to have this coffee cake, my perception is I don't deserve to have some sort of ineffective food. But as I always say to clients, we can only eat so many meals that are effective and nutritious, and that'll make us perceive that we're on a diet. So from all the different diets, diets say that we, quote-unquote, should not eat any kind of desserts or ineffective food because that will cause us to be fat and gain weight. So Mm. I clarify those misconceptions, and that's the truth of saying, well, you know what? Um, You're having one piece. One piece is not going to be a deal-maker, deal-breaker, but it provides satisfaction, it's giving you energy, and the best part is that you enjoyed it. Oh, you're right, Robin, you know it, and this was not the end of the world, and and the truth is, you know, it provided some pleasure, it provided nutrition, and and this is my healthy voice speaking about it, and there wasn't anything wrong about it. So we work on, that's the healthy voice, but the eating disorder voice was the part that we're trying to bury. So I have that three-column sheet that we work on. Mm -hmm. Oh, that sounds great. That sounds awesome. And it probably makes people very much aware. Um, I know you've worked also um, at Cedars-Sinai, which is a big uh, medical center here in Los Angeles for people that that, don't know that, and the Department of Cardiology. And I know that that a lot of eating disorders do affect our heart and they affect different organs. Um, And and kind of, especially for women too, um, our reproductive health as well. And I don't think a lot of people or listeners out there really realize the effects that 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 kind of dis- those kind of disorders take on our body or take the toll on our body. Can you speak to that a little bit about how how it does affect our heart and 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 reproductive system and and other things? Absolutely. I I think people don't realize with any kind of eating disorder just the pressure on on our hearts and of course you know, you know childbearing years what what happens. I mean when we have our labs done at our physician's office, I think individuals perceive blood work will always come down at a later point in time. I mean, one could have, for example, I mean, this is just, as you've mentioned, with whether it be restricting me, one could have um, a low glucose, which is blood sugar due to poor nutrition. Mm -hmm. They could have even um, a low sodium level due to um, water loading, like if they drink too much water um, or if they abuse laxatives. One that's very, very common actually is um, a low potassium if they if they purge, if they vomit, or they abuse mm-hmm. laxatives or diuretics, or if the individual is going through refeeding. So for increasing their you know caloric intake, that that lab is is definitely affected. Um, mm-hmm. Chloride, which is a lab that we're always evaluating if the individual has a history of purging, vomiting, and if they abuse laxatives, we'd see that lab value being elevated. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. many of them. I mean, the heart is 
really the vital organ that's managing all of this. One of the labs that's, that's always monitored significantly, it's called our phosphate, and that mm-hmm. would be low just due to poor nutrition and uh, refeeding. Again, refeeding is... What is, is refeeding? So refeeding syndrome, when you're nutritionally compromised, like when you don't have enough food in your body, mm-hmm. there's, there's um, inpatient centers that an individual would go to because they're, they are not, their, their BMI is too low to be in several treatment centers you know, all over the country to be able to get proper nutritional support. So they are medically monitored by physicians to be able to get their nutrition through a tube. And it's closely, oh, like all these labs, they're what's called a comprehensive uh, metabolic panel with mm-hmm. other electrolytes and enzymes where all of these labs, like your sodium, potassium, chloride, um, bicarbonate, BUN, creatinine, there's, there's many of them, they're all closely monitored by the dietitian, the physician, et cetera. And, and so they're, they basically, it, it, it needs to be monitored very, very closely, not at Cedar Sinai Medical Center, but there's several treatment centers within the United mm-hmm. States that, that I refer to that are, that are fantastic. And the refeeding syndrome, when a client is having their nutrition be closely monitored, they find that they become, you know, very hungry over, over time. And these labs that are very critical in this process, the individual will be at a baseline place that they could go to a residential and inpatient facility after they're in this place for the um, several months that they're there. So mm-hmm. this is that, you know, their their BMI is like 10 or 11. Right. I mean, they're, they're like what? I mean, like they're very unhealthy. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. they're like close to death. I mean, they're mm-hmm. like flown in an airplane. I mean, they're, they're, from, they're very, very ill. It's serious, so, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in any case, I mean, your heart is what's, you know, keeping right. one, you know, going, of course. And then when you speak mm-hmm. about from a fertility standpoint, I mean, you ask, Eric, I mean, one could be underweight or overweight, which causes one. And, and plus having a history of dieting, which this has an impact on an individual having difficulty not getting pregnant, assuming that the male is okay. People perceive mm-hmm. it's only individuals who have a history of anorexia nervosa, but it could be a person who's had an extensive history of dieting or who has had a history of bulimia nervosa. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, not be being anything. able to... Men, yeah, menstruating for, for many years. I mean, um, I've seen women who have been 27. I've seen women who've been 51. And it's all of all of those factors um, compiled together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and thank you for shedding some light on the physical uh, effects of these disorders. And, and let's talk just quickly about also the, the emotional piece, um, the, like the control piece that I feel like a lot of clients I've had have have um, in common when it comes to kind of disorders is that within their interpersonal relationships, there's some issues that come up because they're, you know, wanting to control everything, wanting to control 
when they eat, where they eat, what they're eating. Like you said, parties this time of year makes people a little nervous because they um, feel the pressure to eat or feel like they can't eat or, you know, whatever that is. And I know that it does take a toll on familial relationships, you know, romantic relationships, any kind of interpersonal relationships, which, you know, leads to those people feeling bad about it. And they feel shame around that, too, that they can't really control their mood or they 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 seem to want to, you know, control everything, which, you know, obviously we, we can't do on a day to day basis. Yes, well, as, as you've mentioned, it is about control. One's not able to control what their boss will say to them or what their partner right. will say to them. And, you know, you mentioned a romantic relationship. It's not possible to be a, quote-unquote, in a relationship with someone when you have an eating disorder because that is your relationship. That's the reason... Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard the expression before that you're in a relationship with what's called ED, your eating disorder, or as I'll say mm. to my female clients, Edwina. There's mm. there's a fantastic book called Life Without Ed, and every client that I suggested to, they're like, wow, this book was like written for me, wow. and mm-hmm. it was written by a, a great. Um, gal, Jenny Schaefer, who's recovered from an eating disorder, and mm-hmm. she wrote this book with her therapist. Wow. And it's one of like the very early books that I always suggest to clients, especially mm-hmm. who are just, you know, not certain about their path. And, and I think it's tough because one feels like, well, I can't control all these other elements in my life, but I would like to be able to try to you know, control what I'm eating, what I'm not eating, or it's like I've mastered um, just the eating disorder piece. But as you know, in any part, you have to be able to hit your bottom and find something's not working to be able to be ready to mm-hmm. change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And talking about change, do, do you, do, is there a good, I mean, I know people ask me this about drugs and alcohol, like what is the recovery, uh, you know, what is, what is the success of recovery or what is, the, do you have numbers around it? And I said, you know, no, it's hard to gauge something like that. But from what you can see and in working with clients, um, how possible is it to really squash an eating disorder? Well, to be recovered, if yeah. you have a treatment team, so it's interesting because it's, it's, changed so so the the like statistical information so it's it has been over the years um estimated five to ten years it mm-hmm. takes to be quote unquote recovered not mm-hmm. to quote unquote be in recovery from from eating disorder but um it's estimated like seven years but this this means that you have an eating disorder therapist an eating mm-hmm. disorder registered dietitian and an internist or pediatrician, depending on the age that the person is at, who specializes in eating disorders and or psychiatrists. So you have a full treatment team, assuming mm-hmm. that the individual has come out of residential or inpatient um, of an eating disorder treatment center. And then, you know, oftentimes the client has been in what's called IOP, an in- intensive outpatient program. But mm-hmm. this, you know, the, the problem is many people do not have a full eating disorder treatment team in place. So therefore, they go on and on and on for many, many years, and they'll have one person they're consulting with, and they are not an eating disorder specialist. So, mm-hmm. 
for example, like I'm what's called a CEDRD. I'm a certified eating disorder registered dietitian through what's mm-hmm. called IADEP, which is the International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals. So that's mm-hmm. the highest level of certification in the eating disorder community. And there mm-hmm. are many fantastic eating disorder psychologists and therapists and that I work with. And to say, like, okay, someone doesn't have to be what's called a SEDS, a Certified Eating Disorder Specialist. Those are the mental health clinicians. Mm-hmm. And if you're with an eating disorder specialist, they, like, we are a small community. We all know who each other are. Mm-hmm. There's, like, there's people I am seeing, like clients, and they will have therapists that are general and that don't know anything about eating disorders. And the top eating disorder clinicians, like, go to all the national conferences and are up on it. But the problem is, it's not just like, oh, I've uh, read this journal or I've gone to one lunchtime meeting at a treatment center. Like, you are yeah. up on all of the active national conferences. So that's a problem mm-hmm. because when someone's feeling desperate and helpless, Erica, they'll just like go on psychology today or they'll go on any website and yeah. they'll contact someone. And there's, you know, clinicians that don't have integrity and don't have ethics and they'll take people on and then that person will get worse, which is very you know saddening to me. Yeah, well, thank you for for sharing what what people should look for in terms of um, finding a professional therapist um, and and what kind of um, you know what kind of things that they should look for um, as a certification and as a registered dietitian and certified and certified in in that nature. So thank you for that. So sure. how, how how often do you see um, people that that kind of conquer their eating disorder for a little bit, but yet still still remain a little bit obsessed with exercise or then they become, um, you know, maybe using alcohol. It's kind of what we, you know, it shifts kind of an addiction or addictive nature. How often do you see that happen with, with eating disorders? Well, do you I know what I mean? Because yeah. I, I feel like sometimes, yeah, that happens. Weekly, but not everybody can afford weekly. So many bi-weekly, but I create specific goals that feel realistic and comfortable for each individual to focus on in between yeah. each appointment. And it was, it was, you would you know, probably agree they've developed these habits and behaviors over many, many years. So there's mm-hmm. you know, good days and bad days centered around change. So I like to work with each person in regards to what feels comfortable for them. But mm-hmm. it's, it's not going to be a, a quick fix. But I always like to say to people, it tends to be a series of sessions over a period of time. Mm-hmm. So I have clients that have been with me for, you know, quite some time and others that are one-hit wonders that aren't ready. I mean, I had someone who um, came to me eight months ago one time, and he was pretty deep in his disease, and he came back the other day, and he's like, things have gotten worse. Um, I just wasn't ready then. Yeah. Well, so what I'm talking about is the cross addiction piece of it. It's like, you know, sometimes we have this eating disorder and then I find uh, somebody will come to me and say, oh, I I had an eating disorder when I was younger. And now they're coming to me with an alcohol um, problem or their drug addiction or something like that. And so now we have to conquer that and make sure that they don't go back to the eating disorder. You know what I mean? So I think it's more of it's understanding um the core injury, understanding what is it that they keep running fo- from or distracting, um, you know, or distracting from. So that's, I think that's really important to, to discuss well, so with people that are your, listening. Your, so if I understand your question and just make sure I'm, I'm clear on this, so please yeah. correct me if I'm wrong. So, so clients I see that have dual diagnosis, 
yeah, correct? That's yeah. what you're referencing. So yeah, dual diagnosis, but that's mental health too. But I just mean literally shifting from one addiction to the to the other too. You know. Yeah. So I see clients that will come to me from sober livings, and mm-hmm. I always will say to them, you know, their sobriety is number one, and then we can take a look at their relationship with food, and, and many of them have had. Um, a history of addiction, but they had an eating disorder before, but that took the back seat as they yes. went into their into their uh, you know addiction. So mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. they need a longer amount of time of sobriety before we looked at their eating disorder. So I think it's like a part of you know various teams to be able to identify that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, so, I'm happy that we're, we're sharing that today. Yeah. Yes. So I, I think it's being able to work with those those teams, but I but I do think it's being being able to have them make sure they have a long enough time of sobriety under their belt before we can really get into the eating disorder piece. Yeah, and then also I think just just educating them and making them aware that this happens often and like that this is something that is I don't want to say normal, but it is normal. It, do, it does happen a lot, and so for them not to be scared that they have to, you know, that it's going to always be either or that you can treat both eventually and you can recover from both. Yeah, hundred um, percent. It's just yeah. Sometimes it's just they both rear their heads around the same time, um, you know, for fear of not having any. Co- coping skills. So I think that's where kind of coping skills and teaching people how to cope with stress and all of all of life's wonderful things that come at us um, in healthy ways instead of in unhealthy ways, you know, with eating yep. or, or drinking. Yeah, yep, I, I well, Robin, think it's really learning how to deal with it. Correct. Uh, yeah. Well, let's let's tell everybody where they can find you, your website. Um, so yeah, my, my website is www.askaboutfood.com. Wonderful. Robin Goldberg, thank you so much for being with me today. It was an honor to have you on. You're listening to Rewired Radio on Radio MD. I'm Erica Spiegelman. Thank you all for joining us today and stay well.